Welcome to the Air Force Podcast. I'm Major Brian Lewis. Suicide. It's a hard topic to discuss, especially in environments where seeking mental health support isn't encouraged. But suicide claims more lives than any enemy of our nation, and our senior leaders know we have to take this seriously. Across the Air Force, leaders at every level have been charged to have these tough discussions, but it may be one they aren't prepared for. On this episode of the Air Force Podcast, I sat down with Lieutenant Colonel Dan Magruder. Yeah, that's his real name. A special tactics officer, former squadron commander, and current speechwriter for General Goldfein. We talk about his experiences with death by suicide, leadership, and resiliency. He speaks honestly and openly, hoping to provide some perspective to those serving in leadership roles. The Air Force Podcast. Dan Magruder. Thanks for sitting down with me today. I just wanted to pick your brain. We've been talking a lot. There's been a lot in the Air Force about resilience, and it's kind of resurfaced because of all the stuff we're dealing with. And, and I read what you wrote about your friend Neil, and I, I just think that'd be a really great place for us to start. I know it's, it's a tough story. You've walked through the fire. You've had people that have walked through the fire, but I think that's a story that folks need to hear, kind of how you processed it, what went on there. If you were to start about Neil, what, what would you say? Yeah, my friend Neil Landsberg uh, was a special tactics officer that I had met at Selection in 2002 in March. Uh, he was the strongest guy of the group of eight folks that went through Selection, Captain America style, in my opinion. Then we were able to be stationed together um, at the 2-3 Special Tactics Squadron uh, in the same team on Blue Team. So we experienced a lot there through training, had multiple deployments. His first deployment, and I wasn't uh, on that one, but his first deployment, we lost three of our friends. Uh, Casey Crate, Derek Argel, and Jeremy Frescas, and I think that weighed pretty heavily on them. Uh, as we were uh, going get ready again, you had about eight months between deployments, so we trained again, saddled up for another deployment, and went out with another crew of guys that he had trained himself as the flight commander. Um, and on that deployment, we lost another individual, Adam Service, uh, to a RPG uh, in a firefight in Aruzgan Province. Um, that one he took especially hard because it was a senior airman. It was a guy that he'd been through the entire pipeline with, and it was just really tough for him, I think, to process what we had before um, and then that experience as well. And he, in his life there, I think he was trying to figure out what he was going to do next, whether he was going to uh, continue in special tactics or do something else. I think for Neil especially, he had this servant leadership style where he wanted to do everything with the enlisted men. Uh, and in our career field, sometimes that doesn't always happen. When you deploy, you, you can be in the command and control situation there, and you're doing the leadership role, which mm. really pulled at his heartstrings because he wanted to be with the men doing the mission. So he you know, thought about that, decided to separate uh, from the military. Um, and I think instead of uh, taking the deep introspection that's kind of required and being vulnerable uh, for yourself and seeing your own flaws, I think he used uh, a lot of those experiences and they, they just kind of pulled him down rather than being uh, uplifting. He did do uplifting work. He was working for uh, Rubicon and volunteered at uh, Walter Reed a lot. But I think he, he just couldn't get past some of those deep traumatic experiences that we weren't really trained for at the time to, to deal with and coping. And so I think he took those experiences negatively um, and continued to, to work as a contractor in the defense establishment. But, uh, you know, we lost contact in, in some ways, and I thought he was in Iraq again, just doing his business. 
Um, and a friend called and told me that he uh, committed suicide at that point, um, which was you know, shocking and devastating to me personally as a friend who didn't get to see or recognize the signs and uh, what he was dealing with. And maybe if you know, someone had, had reached out, you, know, you always have that itching guilt in the back of your mind. If you had reached out or done more, uh, maybe it would have turned out differently, but that it just wasn't the case for Neil. Uh, certainly, I think everybody wanted to get him the help he needed, but there's a, you know, a lot more to the story there for his specific case. But I think the, the lesson for me coming out of that was, you know, all of these situations are unique. You know, humans have complex relationships. And I think that was one of the things that, that maybe could have saved him was a little stronger relationships with his friends or the, the trust that he would have to confide in some of his friends. Uh, and being vulnerable with some of the type of emotions that he was struggling with, I think that would have that would have helped. Um, and then as a commander, bridging into that experience as a commander of a special tactics unit, we have 25 AFSCs. It's very uh, diverse, both in operational backgrounds and support. Yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of different backgrounds. And having having Neil's experience really prepared me to be probably a more thoughtful commander. Um, just having that personal connection and emotional attachment to suicide as an issue. Uh, Neil seems to be a driving force in how you approach that. And I'm really curious, like, how did, wh- like, was he on your mind the very first day that you, you took the flag? So I only keep one uh, picture in my office, and it's a picture of uh, Neil. It's a picture of Staff Sergeant Tim Davis, who was killed by an IED, and uh, Staff Sergeant Andy Harvell. And I went through training with all of them. And so they're my driving force, wow. to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of pictures of my family. They are there. They're also watching after me, but uh, I've positioned that photo to look directly at me uh, to remind me what my purpose is uh, there as a military officer and as a commander. You know, I had a, a situation where I had an active duty lieutenant colonel that worked with me in an office, and he was a little bit of a different guy, and I knew his family was, he was a geo bachelor, as we say, right? So his family lived somewhere else. Cause, mm-hmm. And the story was he didn't want his, uh, his kids to have to go to high school somewhere else. But then um, what I realized later is after these things happen, you look back and you kind of beat yourself up over some of the signs. I mean, this, um, this guy was a great guy. He got great hobbies. And I always made a point of, of stopping by his desk and talking to him because I'm a relational person. But I didn't really get to know him. And he went off to command and he was a squadron commander who took his life by suicide. Um, and, it, and nobody seemed to know it was coming. And I think for me, where, where I carry his memory with me like you do with, with Neo, is he and I didn't crawl through the mud together on blue team, which sounds really like you guys were special, like you had the blue team. I imagine that's like, you know. There's a story blue. there. Oh, okay, I'd love to hear it. But, but like for me, when I, when I take him with me, um, I just think about him pretty frequently in the office and go like, there's just one more question that I could ask when I just stop by and see, you know, ask someone how they're doing. And maybe, maybe it's not that simple, but something, something tells me in, in a lot of ways it is. Like when I see these stories of airmen who someone intervened, it wasn't like, you know, flashes of light and, and super obvious. It was simply like, oh, this person showed up right at the right time. And it was the fact that they showed up and it wasn't even showing up in some crazy way it was literally just being present and it seems like there's something about really being present that makes a difference and i and that's what has driven me and in, in in my um you know with the people i'm around and and what actually encourages me when people it's harder to receive it but i start to recognize it more now when someone is like oh they're checking in on me and that feels really good 
there are leaders out there, current leaders in the military, who, and I've heard stories of this very recently even, where a leader speaks about death by suicide and they call it the coward's way out. And you led, talking about Neil, saying, hey, he, he was Captain America. Like, his last decision didn't change who he was in terms of what a strong person he was. I mean, so as a activated reservist who, who works and runs a clinic at, at Walter Reed, like, I've seen the benefit of people like Neil stepping into that space and serving, being a servant leader despite themselves. How do we change the culture to where we don't have leaders talking about suicide or the likes, or even just being vulnerable at a point where you're really hurting as being a coward? I think it first comes from uh, being humble, right? Mm. Like nobody's perfect. Nobody's gonna be a perfect commander or an airman. Um, We all make mistakes in this journey and called a career in the Air Force. In terms Mm. of creating that positive culture, it's gotta be open and I think it, it does. It goes back to those trusting relationships um, that if you do have an airman who's who's struggling, you've got to let them know that you acknowledge they're apprehensive about seeking help or through the spouse. It, you know, they will be absolutely worried or concerned that uh, the tremendous responsibility and power that you have as a commander can negatively impact them and their careers and their family. Ultimately, that's their livelihood, right, uh, that you kind of hold in your hands. So it's a great responsibility uh, that you have to work with your command team. And when I say command team, it's not on your shoulders alone. Yeah. Um, you've got a DO to do operations. You've got a uh, senior NCO, more than likely, who's your key advisor, who should be on, in on every decision you make. You've probably got a volunteer lead spouse. And if you're lucky, you're going to have a first sergeant. So, I mean, these yeah. are an enormous uh, amount of resources, not to mention what's available at the base. Um, to get through these situations. But f- back to the airman who's, uh, you know, hurting or struggling with stressors in their life, I think you have to let them know and just communicate open through the chain of command and then with you, the commander, as you titrate that kind of uh, attention that they need, you let them know that you're going to be behind them and that you're going to put them back to work as soon as possible because uh, every one of the airmen that, that we've had has wanted to get back to the job. It's not, I want to go see mental health so I can get taken off of you know, putting on a profile and taking off the mission. Everyone that we've had had struggles. They've wanted to get back to the mission as soon as possible. Um, so letting them know that you're going to support them to do that and then to follow through on those actions and kind of uh, ameliorate their concerns, I think that's what they're looking for. Um, and that's what worked in a number of the cases that I had as a commander. You mentioned resources for commanders. What are some of those? What does that look like? Yeah, so as a commander, uh, you really have... Unlimited resources from the chaplain at the base to the licensed clinical social worker, mental health professionals, uh, military family life counselors. Um, you're going to have your peer networks of squadron commanders. Um, my most important was probably my chief and my first sergeant. Um, you're going to have, obviously, your spouse and the spouse network um, and your chain of command. So overwhelming. Uh, but trying to figure out uh, what the situation is for that particular airman, what the main stressor is in his or her life, and then having a plan uh, and moving forward. I think that's uh, one of the first things you got to do um, when you have you know, some, some type of event flash up. One of the things you mentioned is feeling overwhelmed by the resources, which made me think about, okay, there's a lot on commanders. There's a lot on our chiefs and first sergeants, flight commanders. All of these people that are in the chain have a role, too, as leaders. How do, we, uh, how do we take care of ourselves in those positions? What would your advice be on that? 
Yeah, know, know that it's going to be a marathon, right? Like from the day you take the guide on um, to the day you give it up, uh, every day you're going to ha- be faced with stressors. And as the commander, you know, you're going to have bad days, but nobody needs to know that you're having a bad day. Um, you know, that's, that's on you. You can find someone to vent to. I certainly did. Um, I didn't want to vent necessarily to my spouse because that's just taking work home, right? Yeah. And I didn't yeah. want to do that, and I didn't want to put that in our marriage. So, but there was some venting there. Um, and then, you know, you, you talk to, uh, I talked a lot to our op psych, our uh, psychologist, mental health professional. Uh, he helped me through, you know, making some, some hard decisions that we had to make. I vented a lot with the chief. He probably had the closest relationship with the chief. Um, he's about 10 years older than I was, so he was a lot, a lot more wisdom than I did. Yeah. Um, and knowing as a commander, everybody's going to be different when you take command, but you're going to have uh, vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Um, but knowing what those are and trying to balance that out on your team surrounding you really is, uh, really is needed. But then um, just as you deal with your own stressors, venting to someone, and I think you know, staying in shape. And the third thing I would say the avoid is to avoid um, – those negative uh, tendencies, right? Like you're not going to find the solution to your problem at the bottom of a bottle, right? Like that's mm. just, it's yeah. not going to happen. Um, so try to try to be positive and look for a positive outcome on those um, tough situations as you wrestle with them. So you, you said you went to your op site. Did you have any, any reservations or fears before you did that? I didn't at all. Hmm. Not yeah. at all. I- what are practical ways that you would tell another squad commander, here's things that you can do from the get-go that let your people know that there's a culture here of taking care of each other um, and, and, and transparency and trust. Right. And, I mean, part of it is setting expectations and accountability. So every commander, after they take command, do the obligatory, here's my slides, here's my command philosophy, put out a one-pager, um, or whatever you know your style is going to be. Um, that unit will more than likely take your uh, personality immediately. Uh, within a few weeks, everybody will be doing what that commander does. Think what, what's important to that commander. They'll hopefully be parroting uh, your message um, if you're doing it right. Um, in terms of you know the positive culture, I think, uh, again, it just goes back to the basics of leadership, um, which is being competent, um, being committed to the mission. Uh, and doing that, I think, is a... a a baseline from which you can then go into the higher order leadership skills of, you know, being more vulnerable, um, showing them that you're humble, that you do make mistakes because you will as a brand new commander, like you're not going to help yourself. You're going to make, you're going to trip up over yourself a few times uh, before you figure things out. Um, and that's okay. Right. Cause again, this goes back to, this is a journey of yeah. leadership and nobody's going to be perfect. Um, but that's, that's why it's a meaningful experience um, because as a commander, you do hold, you know, a lot of authority and responsibility for your airmen. Uh, and I think that's one of the more humbling things, uh, yeah. being in command at the pinnacle of the profession, right? Um, that's where you want to be. Yeah. Um, and squadron command is about as, as good as it can get. So you owe it to your airmen to show up every day ready to work um, on their behalf. And, like, you're not at the, you know, I always told my airmen, I'm, I'm here to work for you and not the other way around. And that was hmm. kind of the, the mantra within our front office. Um, and I think they, they, they understood that. I mean, you can throw all kinds of aphorisms out there. Like, you know, you don't know how much you care until they know how much you care. Or they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That was one that uh, the chief of staff, 20 General Welsh, used a lot. 
to good effect, I think, because it's true. Um, he talked about – there was another saying he had that was something like uh, – like in, you just you go to some level of where you're almost annoying with care. He had a, care till it hurts. Yeah, he had a so way of So that's the story he tells as a squadron commander uh, when he sent one of his uh, junior officers on a mission uh, and that that individual ended up dying in that mission. And he hmm. always has wrestled and continues to tell this story. Um, back when I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, he told it as the Commandant, as a one-star, and then he, he you know, retold it at AFA in the spring this year. Um, hmm. But it is a story um, that will stick with them, and it does because it's a meaningful story, right? As a commander, you're responsible for all the people in your unit, uh, and, and that it stings when you have that emotional attachment, and you always have that lingering doubt that maybe you didn't do everything you needed to. Um, and I think he, he took that experience positively and it's obviously made an impact in his life and the leadership that he's been able to impart on the Air Force throughout his career. Um, and that's why I think he keeps going back to that touchstone because it is a pretty, uh, it's a significant event for him. And I think that impacts his leadership. One of the things that I think can get lost is there is a lot of value in how we, when we wear the uniform, we're expected to actually care more about just what what you see when it's turning the wrench or whatever it may be what where i want to go with that is i'm curious on how you you've mentioned a few times the spouse's network and the role that your spouse played and those kind of things so what does a healthy culture look like when it comes to like how do we engage as commanders and as fellow airmen families in the right way knowing that you know even in if you watch chief wright's video he talks about hey at that point, we had 78 deaths by suicide, and he talked about brothers and sisters and spouses and all of the, the, the way that network is actually much bigger than just those airmen. So I'm curious, you know, what, what worked well for you or in your role as a commander or even just in your life so far as an airman that you can engage the families well? Like, what, how, how, what does that look like? Uh, in terms of how to engage them, I think uh, part of it is just being open about, you know, what your mission is if you, to the extent that you can talk about that and how they fit into the broader Air Force so they can understand the purpose and the why uh, behind the reason of your organization. Um, and then uh, make it fun, right? Like nobody wants to be in an organization that's boring. Yeah. Um, so if you involve the whole families and you can kind of show them the fun things you do, uh, like for security forces, can you, you know, do certain things with them with the weapons and give them rides in the vehicles, show them the flight line, stuff like that. Um, that makes it more fun and inclusive for the family members um, so that they can feel like they're part of the mission as well, because they absolutely are, whether they know it or not, yeah. um, because of the relationship they have with the member. And I think one, so one of the cases we had uh, was a, a spouse that referred her husband. She called the uh, chain of command and notified us like, hey, something's going on. And, you know, we looked into it and reached out to the, the service member. And it actually, I think, was a, was a positive outcome, right? Like, that's what you want out of these things. If you, yeah. if you have a, a culture of intrusive leadership and you're able to see and understand and look around corners and, and know the stressors in people's lives, then you're able to intervene much earlier in the process so that you're not intervening at the point of literal execution, um, them struggling or having an attempt. You're intervening maybe when those stressors haven't packed up on top of each other and led to a catastrophic failure. We start out having to rely on each other and be wingman. It's part of our training. It's part of our culture. It's part of who we are, brother and sisters in arms, that I think it makes such a difference that it's something we really need to hold on to as, as we work through this. So it absolutely is. The 685,000 airmen that we have, 
uh, are all absolutely crucial. And I think, you know, we have more, uh, more deaths by suicide than we do by any enemy on the planet. It's crazy. And I think those self-inflicted wounds are harder for, uh, harder for us to deal with um, than, you know, ISIS or uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan. I mean, it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough issue. Um, but every, I mean, every airman matters. That's why we can't um, continue on this path. And, you know, we've got to have a culture change where, you know, help seeking is a positive thing. Um, just like discipline, it should be a positive thing. Mm. You know, yeah. you're, you're going to, it was for Chief Wright, you know, so yeah. um, it should be something that you learn and grow from, not that you, uh, basically devolve and get worse after you go through something like that. But uh, trying to turn those experiences into something positive um, is the whole point of us, you know, uh, to continue um, doing that um, rather than, you know, being drawn down into kind of a death spiral. Yeah, man. Thanks. Uh, This was great. I mean, clearly this is an enemy that we cannot ignore and that we have to continue to fight and we got to do it together. Um, So I, I thanks. Thanks to you for, taking the time to sit down with me and give me some of your your experience and wisdom, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. If you or someone you know is in crisis, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 for confidential support at 1-800-273-8255.